Hello there, and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist, personal trainer, busy mom, and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm a former bodybuilder, and I currently have found a love for endurance sports. But I'm not your typical athlete. I believe there are many more contributors to athletic performance and overall health, and that we as a population might be doing it wrong. You won't see me pounding goose or chicken and rice, but you will see me in the pursuit to fuel not only athletic performance, but also balance it with optimal health. This is not just a podcast for athletes. Many people that fall into the health scene get there for a reason. I found myself in suboptimal states at multiple times in my life, and it has really sparked my passion for metabolic and systemic health. I am constantly a student of what I love, and now I hope to help others by bringing quality guests to the show to share their opinions and resources to hopefully help you formulate strategies to help you crack your health code. Hey guys, what's good? It is Monday. It's time for another podcast. I'm super excited to have you joining me again. As always, anytime you show up here to share your Monday with me, I am so very thankful for that. So thanks for spending the time. I hope that you really enjoy today's talk with Dr. Kirk Parsley. Today, Kirk and I talk all about sleep and why it is so important. Dr. Parsley is a U.S. Navy SEAL veteran, uh, and then he also worked in the medical field treating Navy SEALs for a lot of the common problems that they were having And before long, he found that it had everything to do with sleep. So today we kind of dive down a couple of those rabbit holes. It's really, really informative. And I'm hoping that you guys understand a little bit more of the importance of sleep after my talk with Dr. Parsley today. Before we get going too far, I just want to remind you guys that I do have a lot of great info on my website. I know I do get lots of people reaching out to me with questions about workouts and things, which I absolutely love to talk to people. So if you guys shoot me a DM on Instagram or message me from my website, I will always get back to you. I don't have somebody else doing that for me. I do it for just personally for you. So ask questions, feel free. It's never a burden. I love to help people get started on their health and fitness journey. That is why I started this podcast. Trust me. I'm not making my next million on it. I'm doing it to get information out to the public. And it was the best way that I could go about doing that. And it was really funny at the beginning of this whole journey. I was going to do a blog and I had all these things that I wanted to do. But I realized that the best thing I do is talk. (laughs) And it's really hard for me to sit down and write an article. And I did write a few and I've got a couple of great articles on my website. But really talking to people is where I find joy. And I love talking to these people like Dr. Parsley and getting this stuff out there to you guys. So it's all really important to me. Uh, As far as life, things are really going great. I did have a bicycle crash uh, yesterday. That was a little bit interesting. First time I've gone skidding across the pavement on my road bike. Um, After 4,000 miles, I think that I'm pretty fortunate that that was the first time. And I knew it was going to come eventually someday. Uh, but let me tell you, I'm pretty sore. (laughs) I got, I'm missing quite a bit of skin and I'm today, my neck hurts from, uh, whacking my head on the pavement at, you know, a pretty considerable speed of pace. So, um, anyway, 
that was interesting. I'm glad I'm okay. I'm glad I got it out of the way. I'm glad it wasn't worse and skin grows back and I'm sure I'll be back on the bike here in a couple of days. But uh, I had just started retraining again for a couple of races. I don't know if you've listened to previous episodes, but I did back out of some springtime races because I felt like my adrenals needed a break. Uh, I think that my body was telling me it was tired and that it was time for me to take a little bit of a a hiatus from any extreme training. So I spent a couple months being pretty laid back. I mean, all I was doing was a couple days a week of strength training, full body, compound movements. Uh, And boy, let me tell you, last week when I got back on the bike, I was strong. That time off was very much needed. And I think it's really easy for us to get in this go, go, go mode and never take the time that we need to recover. And we forget to kind of listen to our body signals that are saying, okay, back it off a little bit. I need some time. So taking a couple months off was a really, really good choice for me. Uh, My body is strong. I feel really, really great. I'm hoping that it will continue to go that direction so that I can grab a couple races in the fall. Uh, My family and I also signed up to do the Seattle Spartan Super, which I'm really looking forward to as well. It's kind of funny. I never thought I would be into these Spartan races, and I did one, and now I'm like, okay, let's do a bigger one. This will be fun. Um, And the cool part is is that we all go and do it as a family. My 14-year-old son is really into it. He wants to try to be super competitive this time, so uh, it will be fun to see where he turns out on that one because it is a bigger race. Uh, And then I also got a bunch of my clients to go too. So we've got a big team going. We're going to help each other get through it. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So yeah, guys, before I ramble on too much further, uh, thank you so much again for joining me. And here is Dr. All right, Dr. Parsley, I'm super excited to have you on here because you talk and work with a lot of people in the realm of sleep, which is like a really important thing. And some people don't realize it. We're kind of in this society where it's like sleep when you're dead. You don't need sleep. You you can pack more things into the day and sleep less. And we as a nation don't realize how important sleep is and how much it affects us when we do not have it. So today you and I are going to chat all things sleep. Well, I'm looking forward to it. That's exactly my dogma. I like to spew it whenever I can. I very much appreciate the opportunity to stand on my soapbox with your audience. So thanks for having me and let's get into it. I'm, I'm excited about this. Well, first of all, Uh, I met you through a mutual friend, Rob Wolf, and he said, oh, you got to meet Kirk. He's awesome. You you guys would totally hit it up. You're right off each other's alley, all these things. You're a Navy SEAL. And I'm, I'm thinking that this kind of may be have what contributed into your interest in sleep. But can you tell my audience a little bit about your background and what got you interested into this stuff and what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, 
I, I mean, I guess it's just sort of the, the path of life, the way it goes. I, I never really had any interest in sleep specifically. Um, I, I was a, as you said, I was a Navy SEAL. I was, an, I was actually a high school dropout who uh, joined the Navy, got a GED and joined the Navy because I wanted to go do the toughest training in the world. And I went to SEAL training. And this is before anybody knew what SEALs were. It wasn't like, you know, we the SEALs didn't have the celebrity status they do now. And I just wanted to go do this really tough training. And I didn't honestly didn't even know they were going to pay me. I just thought like I was going to go, they're going to give me clothes and place to sleep and like, you know, train. And I was either going to be killing people or training to kill people. And what do I need money for? And like, I, I totally naive kid. Um, and I, you know, I went to the SEAL teams and, you know, of course, age during that process and uh, uh, started dating a woman who would become my wife. And uh, she was in physical therapy school, getting her master's degree. And I had always been interested. Everything I'd ever read was around fitness and, you know, and nutrition and like just to make myself a better athlete. I'd been a competitive athlete in every sport I could imagine to get into um, my whole life. And I, I just, I've loved, you know, athleticism, but primarily strength and speed stuff. And uh, so anyway, I, I thought you know, that maybe I could get out of the Navy and become a physical therapy, you know, a physical therapist, you know, maybe that'd be realistic because, you know, high school dropout, maybe, you know, probably not going to do anything really big, I thought. And, uh, you know, I, I started working at San Diego Sports Medicine Center because um, you need 2,000 volunteer hours to even apply to PT school. So I started volunteering there. They hired me. I quickly, pretty quickly decided I didn't want to be a uh, PT, but I worked in this Mecca. I mean, we had podiatrists, we had massage therapists, we had acupuncturists, naturopaths, DOs, MDs, uh, orthopedics, uh, orthopedic surgeons. We had sports medicine, family practice, um, like you name it. Like we had everything there. And I, and so I, you know, when I was in college, I'm working there. I just had this great opportunity to talk to people and see what I really liked. And these doctors talked me into becoming a doctor, which I just thought was ridiculous. Um, and then one, the, the doctor that owned the practice, he came out one day and ashamed me because they, you know, the other doctors were saying, you know, you should apply here, here, this, we'll give you a letter of rec, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm like, y'all aren't listening. Like I, I didn't graduate high school. Like I'm not going to medical school. Like, you know, set your, you know, like, pump the brakes. Like, let's be realistic. And then uh, the lead doctor comes out and he's like, Hey, the question isn't, can you get in? The question is, would you go if you got it? And yeah, you couldn't really have, I could, couldn't really avoid that logic and the shame flushed over me. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll try to go to medical school. So I get into medical school. I didn't even know that the military had their own medical school until I was applying for medical school. And uh, I found out they have their own medical school. I was already married, already had kids, you know, uh, and they would pay me to go to medical school instead of the other way around. But yeah, let's do that. And I figured I would get back to the SEAL teams as their doctor, and I did. And I had this great background in sports medicine and orthopedics. And I was going to go there and like fix all the guys' shoulders and knees and elbows and all this stuff. And I got there at this really great time and they just got the funding. You know, if you know anything about the military, it takes like 10 years to get the funding for anything. 
So they got in the funding to build this clinic, a sports medicine facility, which would surprise most people. We'd never had one before. So, uh, you know, this is 2009. We're building our very first sports medicine facility ever. And they're like, hey, you have a background in this. You're, you know, you're the doc here. Like, why don't you supervise? Great. Perfect. So I do that. And uh, so I supervise the build out of this. And I work with lots of other guys. And we hire the very first PT, the very first nutritionist, the very first strength and conditioning coach, the very first athletic trainer, the very first physical therapist. We bring orthopedic rounds through the clinic. We bring pain rounds through. We bring acupuncture through. And then I'm the dumbest guy there because now I've brought in like all the best of the best all over the world. Now I'm just like, I'm nobody. I'm a guy who hasn't even finished training yet. And so what the military does when you're the dumbest guy is they put you in charge, right? And so they're like, well, you just supervise everybody. And uh, if, if, you're, if you or your audience know anything about the SEALs, SEALs behave a lot like professional athletes in the respect that their job is who they are. That's what they do. And the worst thing you can do to them is put them on the bench. And so they just lie. When they go to medical and they talk to their doctors and whatever, they just lie. They do their physicals like, I'm great. Everything's fantastic. Like they got duct tape over their bullet holes. And they're like, no, I'm fine. Like nothing's in it. And they'll just lie there. They'll lie their butts off just so they can make sure that they're going to go to work. Um, but they would come into my office because I was in this rehab facility and I was the only guy who didn't really have a job. Like I was just supervising people who knew more than I did. I don't know how you do that. And I'm like, all right, you guys are doing a great job. And uh, so these guys would come to my office and they shut the door and they trusted me because I was a SEAL. And I'd been a SEAL recently enough to where there were a lot of SEALs there that I'd been SEAL with, that I'd trained with, deployed with. And I had a decent reputation. And so people would come and talk to me. <clears throat> and they say, hey, man, let me tell you what's really going on. And they list off all the stuff like uh, my body comp is like just totally shifting and suffering. I don't know what the hell is going on. My motivation sucks. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I get up every morning around four. I come into the gym. I work out for like two hours. I go to work. Da, 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 da. My, you know, I feel really moody. I'm angry all the time. My sex drive is really low. Like um, my concentration sucks. My memory sucks. And, you know, maybe I'm just getting old, doc. Maybe that's all it is. Right. And I'd be like, yeah, you're, you know, you're 36. That's probably it. I mean, you're probably done. Right. It's like just, uh, and to be honest, I had no idea. Not, I didn't have a, I didn't have this. I didn't have the first clue when they, when the first guy came and told me, I'm like, nothing. I've gotten nothing. Uh, because I was a Western trained medical doctor. Like I knew how to recognize and treat disease. They, they didn't have disease. They were performing way better than the average person in society, but they weren't performing to their uh, metric. And so um, about the hundredth guy who came in my office, I'm dumb, but I'm slow. So it took me a while. Um, the, <clears throat> about the hundredth guy comes to my office and he's like, Hey, uh, he's telling me his whole story. I'm asking, and really like after 10 guys came in, I could have told everybody else their story because it's so similar. But this guy comes in and he says something about taking Ambien. And I go, you know, it seems like a lot of people take Ambien. So I put a little note in the margin. I just keep on with the interview. And then I go back and I look at all the other records. Every single guy who came in my office was taking Ambien. I thought, oh, maybe Ambien has something to do with it. Yeah, smart, right? 
so I go and I look, and I'm like, but I don't really know. Like, I know how Ambien works. Like, I know the mechanism of action. I learned that in medical school. But I don't know enough about sleep to know if Ambien's really helping them sleep. I, I assume it is because it's been approved for that. But in my education to do that, I learned, oh, actually, Ambien doesn't lead to sleep. It just leads to unconsciousness. And then and you feel like you're asleep and you look like you're asleep. So people think you're asleep. But all the benefits that come with sleep aren't really being achieved. And so maybe if we get these guys off of Ambien, and that was my sole goal. Like, I'm just going to get guys off of Ambien and see what happens. So I get guys off of Ambien and that's why I developed a sleep supplement because I had to give them something. And I just came up with this concoction of seven different things that they should take every night and they're, you know, to get them to sleep. And uh, people started getting sleep and lo and behold, their symptoms all started changing. Now it wasn't a hundred percent for a hundred percent of the guys, but it was really powerful. And that was, like I said, that was really my only ambition, but then I just started learning more and more about sleep. And the more, I learned the more I was drinking my own Kool-Aid and I was like, actually, this, this is actually the most important thing. And if you think about Occam's razor, just, just getting quality sleep could explain every single symptom they were having. I didn't think it would, but I thought it could. Right. So that's something we should really work on. So that's really how I got into sleep. Um, I, and the seals had no interest in sleep. I mean, you think about, probably the two worst professions, right? Being a doctor and being, you know, special forces, military, anything. Uh, they don't value sleep. These are the two professions I've been in. And, uh, you know, I, I really didn't think for a minute that, that it was going to be a really easy solution for them or a really easy sells to them. So, but I did know the audience well enough to know that they care about performance. And so I tied it all to their hormones. Like, you know about growth hormone, you know about testosterone, you know about estrogen, you know about cortisol. Let's talk about how all this changes when you don't sleep well. That's how I motiv motivated guys to sleep. Um, and I really wanted to just fix their hormones, but military wouldn't let me do that <laughs> and it wouldn't have been the right thing to do anyway, but that would have been like the medical doctor way to do it. It's like, Oh, this is low. This is low. Give you more of this, take this away. Um, and uh, yeah, it ended up being great. I mean, I had 45 year old guys getting PRs and, you know, CrossFit and weight room and uh, whatever, you know, not, not just PRs for 45, but PR for their life, you know, like for their entire lifetime. So, uh, and these are guys who were broken a year before, you know, two years before. So it definitely made a big difference. And, uh, you know, and, and the SEALs did these big retreats before and after deployments to kind of, get the families together. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I got pulled onto the stage cause the Navy owned me. I was free. Uh, and then they brought in guys like Rob Wolf and John Wellborn and Cresser and, you know, all these cats and they paid them, <clears throat> but I shared the stage with all those guys, got to know all of those guys. And they, they got me on the podcast and stages around the country, around the world. And that's how I became the sleep guy. You know, not, not really that long. That, I swear that's the longest answer I'll give you, but that's, that's just a, no, it's super interesting. It's path. It's hard. To, it's hard to shorten that whole lot. Oh, I get it. I have a story, a story that's pretty similar. Like as far as length goes, I always go as a guest on podcast and they're like, so tell us what got you into what you do and all this. And I'm like, well, like, do you want like the whole version or like the sweet and condensed version? Because it's really hard to talk about this stuff and make it short. Right. 
Um, so I have oftentimes wondered though, like, especially with seals, they have, at least, at least I didn't start in 1970. Yeah, exactly. I could have started my story well, about 1970. Right <laughs> totally. Yes. Uh, so like you, you can answer a lot of questions for me though, because I started hearing some of these symptoms that you're getting from some of these people. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've often wondered this, like, you know, everything's kind of taken from a Western medicine approach. And yeah. I mean, even military medical, more than likely, I don't know how exactly it works, but I'm, that's my assumption I'm making. Uh, but the thing is, I've always seen these, like the, the special forces and how they, they perform and what they do and what their job involves. And a lot of it involves lack of sleep and lack of recovery. And so yeah. a lot of times, I mean, I can only imagine mm -hmm. that a lot of these people's adrenals are just totally roasted as well. Yeah. And that was actually, uh, that was actually my first postulate when I, when I decided nothing I learned in medical school is going to help me here. I better look elsewhere. And I started looking in non-traditional integrative functional alternative medicine pathways. And the first thing I thought of was the first thing that kind of popped out as being an obvious solution was adrenal. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there, you know, there, there's the phrase adrenal exhaustion and there's an argument as to whether or not that's a thing or an accurate way to say it, uh, an HPTA mismatch, whatever you call it. But yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of, we're the, we're the stress hormones matching what they should. Um, and they weren't for sure, but they don't when you don't sleep well also. Right. So um, you know, I was giving people Myers cocktails. I was giving people adrenal support. I like I, you know, the, and the military is not cool with this to answer your question. Like not at all. Like I got in trouble. I was in trouble every week because I was going outside of my scope of practice. Uh, I, apparently I wasn't qualified to give people IV vitamins, like in a Myers cocktail, <clears throat> despite the fact I could do minor surgery on them. I don't, I don't know how anybody figured it, you know, how these rules were made, but, um, you know, there, there was, you know, I, I started thinking back when, the, when these guys first started talking to me, I, the first thing I was thinking of was you've heard about in every war, there's, there's shell shock or battle fatigue, combat fatigue, like whatever they called this um, kind of syndrome that people were going through. And this happens in every war. And so when I saw the SEALs, like when these guys started coming to talk to me, they'd been in combat for eight eight or nine years, right? So I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe that's all this is. And so I started looking at, well, what is that? And then, okay, adrenals, right? Um, <clears throat> by and large, that that's kind of what that, that combat fatigue syndrome was about. But of course, there's a ton of brain injury, which I didn't figure it out for a couple of years. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brain injury, a lot of blast injury uh, for, for special forces guys. And this is stuff you don't notice because like nobody hit you. You didn't hit anything. You didn't get knocked unconscious, but you know, the threshold for creating a minor TBI is 1.09 G's. If you shoot a machine gun in a concrete room, it's 35 G's every time you pull a bullet, you know, every time you pull the trigger. And there's lots of other people in the room pulling their triggers too. And so like, you're getting all these, like, what's that? What's the consequence of that? You know, uh, you know, our fast boats transit at 60 G's peak over 100 G's. 
um, you know, the Carl Gustav, like anti-take, that's like 200 G's for the firing guy, 300 G's for the spotters. Like, I don't have a guy who doesn't have brain injury. So, you know, it's not clean, it's not cut and dry, but um, there's a little bit of all this stuff going on. I think that special forces in general, military in general, but special forces specifically, um, they select out for people who do well with overtraining, people who don't suffer as badly from sleep deprivation, people who can keep going when they haven't truly recovered and they're gonna, and, it, you know, and it's nothing to do you know, about grit or motivations, like some people are genetically more capable of that. And age has a lot to do with it, hormonal status, nutritional status, your upbringing, what you've actually done throughout your life. And then your, 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 your genetics and just, can you do it or not? Um, it doesn't make it the right thing to do, but that's, that's how it's done. You know, it's interesting that you say this right now, actually, because I was recently taking a class and I might totally butcher this. I am not done with the class, but I am, should I say, I am taking a class. Uh, and they were actually talking about that, about how certain people handle lack of sleep and stress differently because their body is different pathways that their body uses and how they, I think it was a study with the Navy SEALs. I could be wrong, but they were talking about how they started running their labs and these people that functioned really optimally with um, lack of sleep and a lot of stress were people that had like higher, were able to maintain higher levels of DHEA, even though their cortisol was high. And uh, so they were getting into kind of the nitty gritty of some of these things. And that's some of the stuff that I see when I work with people. Um, I mean, typically now I've kind of gotten myself this name for helping people that have done everything and not achieved the results they want, but they're doing everything based on what the fitness parameter is. And they think that if they work out more, they place more stress on their body, they sleep less, they're going to get, um, better response, like a better uh, result is what I, what I was going to say. Uh, and it's just not the truth because I end up looking at these people's labs and their hormones are driven down. Their DHEA is driven down. Like everything is totally messed up, but apparently the military has figured out how, according to this class I was taking that to know that some people are special in that way, that their body actually is able to maintain the right hormones, even though they're under stress. Yeah. I mean, so there are, if we're talking about the same thing, there, there are three genetic uh, markers for what they call super sleepers. And there's a, it's a misnomer. A lot of people think these people only need so much, like five hours or six hours or whatever it is to be optimal. It's not true. So no, no one has ever shown that somebody can sleep five or six hours and be optimal what they've shown is that there are people who can sleep five hours routinely and not suffer nearly as bad as other people who sleep five hours per night to the best of my knowledge. And I like, I'm, I'm always open. Uh, I always reserve the right to be wrong, but I've never read anything. No one's ever presented me with anything to the contrary. And I've been reading about this stuff for well over a decade now. Um, there, there is no evidence that anybody is ideal with less than roughly eight hours of sleep. Um, but like their optimal performance level. But if you're, you know, you, you have, you have these super high performers that, uh, reg, you know, relegate themselves to five or six hours of sleep a night and they do it, um, over time, they really get 
accustomed to this, uh, you know, whatever pattern or lifestyle that they're on. And these people told you lots of bugs around here, big old fire in on my leg. Um, uh, these, these people can achieve amazing things. Um, and then that's used as evidence that they didn't need to sleep. But what we don't know is how much more amazing would they have been if they actually slept. Um, and all of the evidence suggests that they would have been better. Like, would they have actually achieved more? Would have changed their mood or their drive? Like, who knows exactly how their life would have turned out. But if you look at their physiology, their performance, we do something called sleep adaptation. So we, we adapt people to get rid of the, whatever sleep debt they have. Um, the first studies with this were done, the bunker trials, they were done by uh, William Dement, he's one of, he's the, like the grandfather of sleep medicine. And they put young, healthy college students in a cold, dark room for 14 hours a day with nothing but a, but a bed and a toilet. That's it. No lights. And it was, in, it was in a bunker, like a World War II bunker, which is why it's called the bunker trial. And They've redone this study hundreds of times across different cultures, different age groups, doesn't matter. You pull people out of society and you say, I'm gonna put you in this cold dark room for 14 hours a day. I'm gonna let you out. You're gonna do whatever the hell you wanna do for 10 hours a day and come back in for another 14 hours. And this is your life for whatever the links to this research is. What happens is everybody who comes in, almost everybody, 98 probably percent of people who come in, they'll come in and they'll sleep like 12 hours. 12 hours, 12 and a half hours. And these are people who routinely sleep six hours, a lot of them, and say they're feeling great and they're doing great. They have no complaints. And, and granted, a lot of the population does this as young people because that's who can afford to participate in research trials that pay you hardly anything, right? Um, but they'll come, they'll sleep for 12 and a half hours on average. And then over the course of 30, 45, 60 days, every single person goes from 12 and a half hours down to about eight hours. That's where we get that number from. And then you can take those people out and you say, now you're sleep adapted. And now I can either, I can bring you out and I can test you on something that you already know, or I can teach you something preferably because then we get kind of two metrics that like you're learning and your performance. Um, I can teach you something whatever, like whatever it is you want to teach, like something athletic, something cognitive problem solving, coordination, doesn't matter. Teach you something, test you on it. And then bring you back a couple, you know, a few days and you get a baseline of like your performance and your learning and your skill level. And then I take away two hours of sleep and you sleep six hours instead of eight. And then you come in the next day and you test and you'll do worse course you'll do worse and if i ask you how do you think you did just say i did worse I, I didn't feel that great i didn't get enough sleep i did worse okay next day we do the same thing same thing happens next day we do the same thing same thing happens by the fourth day though i say how do you think you did you say i think i did as well as i've ever done i'm totally adapted to this and like i feel great i've only been sleeping six hours a night but i know i feel great i know i did as well as i've ever done and there is actually documentation of 
them holding like here's your results you're still going down you're still getting worse and they're arguing with the researchers saying like you got like you got a, you got the data and they're so convinced that they feel normal and they're doing well that they think the researchers are messing up because our self-awareness goes away when we're sleep deprived so it's just like when you drink alcohol you think you know you have one drink you're still pretty aware of yourself you have two drinks maybe things are slipping you're like maybe i should you know hold off before i drive you know you have a couple of you know three four drinks you're like i can drive like i feel totally fine i'm because you you know your your own self-analysis goes away once you start interfering with your prefrontal cortex which is the area that suffers the most from sleep deprivation and just a little bit of sleep deprivation it suffers and you can feel your prefrontal cortex going away during the day even when you're sleeping well but you're just having a really you know you have a really maybe you have a tough lifestyle in general but maybe you're having a super stressful day maybe it's physically stressful maybe it's cognitive stress cognitively stressful but you just notice like i'm not quite myself like i'm not thinking quite as well like my my decision making isn't there. My, like my filter isn't quite there. My problem solving isn't quite there because your prefrontal cortex gets fatigued. It's it's the most fragile performance wise area of our brain, and it's the most important part. It's the part that makes us human. It's the part that allows us to be different than every other animal. It's the part that allows us to plan for the future. It's a, it's the part that allows us to simulate and go, oh, if I take this knife and I stab it in my hand, it's going to hurt right? Like, it's not something I want to, I don't need to do it. I've never done it before. I don't need to do it. I know it's, I know it's going to happen because of that. No other animal has that. Like every other animal has to try that and go, oh, that didn't work. And so we, you know, we lose that capability when we don't sleep enough. And so these people who think they're super sleepers, they're still suffering. They don't know how much, and we don't know how much, unless we're you know, studying and tracking that one person, but you're definitely not your best on less than eight hours. So let's talk about this a little bit. So with sleep debt, you have, I mean, people don't realize that this accumulates over time. Yeah. And so maybe you can tell my listeners a little bit how that works and why sleep's so important. And then, mm-hmm. and then kind of we'll open up this rabbit hole with how this can stack up over time as well. Yes. I mean, so really, <laughs> Uh, the uh, poorly or poorly palated truth is that you're born into this contract and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just like being born into the fact that you're going to die. Nothing you can do. You're going to die. Um, But you're born into this contract that you can be awake for 16 hours and you need eight hours to recover. That's, I mean, that's, it's just the way it is. Like that's the way this species is built. You can fight it. You can biohack it. You can do all sorts of tricks and think you're outperforming it. This body is hundreds of thousands of years old. It's been evolving for a long time. You aren't going to trick it. You aren't going to biohack it. It needs eight hours to recover. And the entire point of me sleeping eight hours tonight is to recover from everything I've done to myself today. Everything, right? any type of uh, fuel partitioning, nutritional storage is going away, just toxic waste. Like your cells, you, every, you, know, you should think of your cell as just, or you is just like a bigger version of cells, right? Like you take nutrients and, and you waste, you, pr- you produce waste products, right? Every cell in your body does the exact same thing. Those waste products would be the same as if you did those waste products in your house. If they had built up and you didn't have indoor plumbing, it would be a disgusting place to live. And your body's no different. You have to get rid of all these waste products and you have to replenish the nutrients and you, and you have to 
um, do this in a systematic way. And this sleep is systematic. Like when you go to sleep, it's not the lights go off and the lights go on. There are hundreds of things going on while you're sleeping. And the, the first 20 minutes of sleep and the last 20 minutes of sleep don't look anything alike when you're studying people from sleep, right? So there are sleep cycles and you go through these sleep cycles and there's deep sleep and there's REM sleep or non-REM sleep and REM sleep. There's all sorts of names for this. I can't keep up with the categorizations, but basically you have these slow wave sleep cycles where your brain waves are really slow and your hormones, like your all of your sex hormones, reproductive hormones, anabolic hormones, um, and your immune system are at its peak. So we know that most people know that uh, fight or flight is maximum sympathetic tone, right? You have the you have this autonomic nervous system. Think of it as automatic. It's doing things that you're thinking of. It's causing me to breathe. It's setting my heart rate. It's setting my blood pressure. Like it's making my kidneys function. Like all this stuff is happening. I'm not thinking about it. That's automatic. That's the autonomic nervous system. And there's a parasympathetic which speeds it up. And there, I'm sorry. There's a parasympathetic which slows it down. There's a sympathetic that speeds it up maximum sympathetic tone is fight or flight. Most people have heard of that. That's the maximum amount of stress hormones you can produce. You think about what you're like. Your pupils dilate, you take in more light, although you focus only on the threat because it only matters if you get away from the threat, like nothing else matters in that. Your bronchial trees dilate, you take in more air, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your, your stress hormones, cortisol goes up, that releases, releases stored glucose and form glycogen. So you now have higher blood glucose, your pain threshold increases, your reflexes get faster, your, uh, the blood, the blood supply to your skin actually goes away. So you can, you know, you can get nicked and cut and not bleed as much. Um, there's all sorts of physiological changes and you get faster and stronger. Your reflexes are better. You can see better, smell better, taste better, hear better because there's a threat that's going to possibly kill you or cause serious harm. And all that matters is getting away from that. The exact opposite of that is deep sleep. So you could say, well, why don't I just run around and fight or flight all the time? I'd be, I'd be super mean, right? I'd be faster and stronger and like all this more capable. Well, no, there's lots of things that aren't happening because if you don't get away from the tiger or the guy with the gun or whatever's causing the fight or flight, the car crash that you're in, if you don't get out of the situation, nothing else matters. Your body just takes all your resources from everywhere and says, we're going to make you fast and strong and enduring and like powerful to get out of this mess. And that's it. I'm like, we don't care what happens. After that. Like, and we're just going to, we're going to put all the chips in for this. And so, you know, you aren't fighting off infection, you aren't repairing, you aren't digesting, you aren't producing sex hormones, you aren't, you aren't producing reproductive, you know, pathways, like you're not doing any of those things, because it doesn't matter if you can fight off the infection, it doesn't matter if you can fight off, it doesn't matter if you can repair the damaged muscle or damaged tissue, it doesn't matter if you can mobilize different fuel sources, none of that doesn't matter if you can reproduce, all that matters is getting away from the threat. But when you're in deep sleep, it's exactly the opposite, you're physically completely incapable, but what's maximum? Maximum recovery, maximum sex hormones, maximum uh, uh, reproductive hormones, uh, maximum immune function, you're fighting off parasites, you know, bacteria, viruses, any type of infection, you're repairing your damaged tissues, you're getting stronger, you're actually taking the things that you learned during the day from short-term memory, 
putting them into long-term memory and you're creating pathways that connect these things, you actually know that and now you can compare it to other stuff that you know. So the point being of all this, and that's, I'm glossing over a lot of stuff. That's the, the basic gist. So like during this eight hours, everything that you're trying to get better at, this is actually when you're getting better at. Like you don't, like you know, you don't get stronger when you work yourself when you work out when you sleep and you recover you recover to be stronger and, and then the next day you can do more work so the entire point of me sleeping tonight using today as a template these 16 hours today dictate what my body and brain are going to focus on when they're repairing tonight and then tomorrow hopefully i wake up more capable or at least as capable as i was today so that i can do the same thing again tomorrow and I totally lost track of the question that you asked me, but oh, I think no. just why sleep debt matters. And you kind of got oh. into that, but um, yeah. Oh, and so I let me, so, so let me finish. I, I, that's perfect. So the only thing I have to say is that take everything I just said is exactly the lead up to what I was about to say was if I don't sleep eight hours tonight, if I sleep six hours or four hours, or I don't sleep at all, Tomorrow still comes. I still have to do it. How do I do it? Do you know how to do it? I do it with stress hormones. I ramp up my stress hormones. I get closer to fight or flight. Stress hormones are catabolic, right? Testosterone, growth hormone, DHEA you're speaking to, pregnant alone, DHT, all, all these are anabolic hormones. These make me stronger. These make me more resilient. These take small things, they build big complex things out of it. So you take amino acids and I build muscles out of it. Catabolic, exactly the opposite. I use my muscles to get the amino acids that I need and I break my muscles down. That's catabolic. So if I don't sleep enough, that's just one example. If I don't sleep enough, I'm going to compensate by releasing more stress hormones tomorrow because stress hormones are catabolic and they're going to give me the fuel much like fight or flight does, right? Fight or flight maximum catabolic we're just gonna we're dumping everything we're throwing every fuel source we have to get out of this threat so if i don't sleep enough tonight if i sleep four hours instead of eight hours maybe i have 50 percent higher stress hormones which maybe takes me 50 percent of the way just to fight or flight so like i am just wearing my body out now the worst thing about that is now i have high stress hormones when i try to go to sleep I can't go to sleep because I have high stress hormones and you need, I told you the lowest stress hormones you'll ever have in your life is during deep sleep. It's the exact opposite of fight or flight. My stress hormones are too high to get to sleep or even if they do, if, even if I can just go to sleep from sheer exhaustion, they aren't low enough to get me into truly deep sleep. I don't restore, I don't re repair and replenish and regenerate myself as well as I would have. And so even if I get eight hours of sleep now, I maybe only recovered as much as if I got six hours of sleep because I had such high stress hormones, which means what? Tomorrow, I have to release more stress hormones again. And then it's a self-propagating downward spiral. Like I don't get good sleep because I have high stress hormones. And then I have high stress hormones because I don't get good sleep. Yeah, absolutely. And I love everything that you said right there, because a lot of people don't realize our whole body is run off of a circadian rhythm of some kind. There are there are big cycles, there are little cycles, and cortisol is what helps us wake up in the morning, and melatonin is what helps us go to bed at night. And when we are even in our like in our life stress, if we're critically stressed out, then our sleep is going to suffer from that as well because of those high cortisol levels. 
Right, absolutely. Um, and, and as you alluded to, you know, if you think about the cortisol curve and, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost a sinusoidal curve. Uh, you know, we, there's a certain level that you kind of wake up with and then that peaks throughout the day. So it, it peaks somewhere around two o'clock, two to three o'clock in the afternoon. It's just gradually going up. And, you know, coincidentally, this is where the majority of uh, uh, world records are set like this, at this peak cortisol level. Because um, uh, stress hormones, which include cortisol, they get a bad rap in that, and DHEA is technically a stress hormone. Um, and they get a bad rap as being the negative thing, which is associated with this, this word stress, which we don't like the word stress, but stress in the scientific biologic sense is just, you know, it, it's just simply resistance added to your body to cause, you know, some, um, you know, some pressure or growth on your part to get past this resistance. So, uh, when you wake up in the morning, if, if you're sleeping great, right. If, if you have a great lifestyle and sleep wake cycle and you just go to sleep roughly at the same time every night and you wake up at the same time every morning without an alarm clock, what's waking you up is stress hormones, right? So they're going down in deep sleep. They're going to the lowest level they'll be at any 24 hour period and you're getting maximal anabolic function. And then they're gradually creeping up over the night. And then they hit a point where that's high enough to wake you up and no alarm clock, no light, nothing changes, no sound. And just, you'll just wake up because your, you know, your adrenals are and your cortisol all over. It's like it's time to wake up. And then it goes up throughout the day. And then it has that little after lunch, that little after lunch dip. Like everybody has that. It doesn't matter if you eat or not. Like you get that little dip, you get a little tired peaks and then it starts going back down. And at some point it goes down lower than the level that it woke you up. Well, if you have high stress hormones all throughout your day, because you have a stressful life and you're jacking around, you know, jacked up on caffeine and like, you know, who knows what else, like you're getting yourself all ramped up. You have these high stress hormones. They never go down below the level that wakes you up. And now you're trying to go to sleep with more stress hormones than you wake up with. And that's what the postulate of the, of the adrenal fatigue comes from. And in, and whether it's actually the organs fatiguing, it, it doesn't matter. It's a mismatch of what should be happening. It's a mismatch of what your brain should be telling your adrenals or what your brain is telling your adrenals and your adrenals are doing. And it's not, it's not matching your circadian rhythm. I, when I first started with these seals coming in my office, I just, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what, what I didn't even have a clue. So I just started testing everything I could test. It's just like, shotgun 98 lab markers 17 vials of blood they're just going in like getting all these tests done i had guys who came in with am cortisol levels that were undetectable zero they essentially came in with zero <laughs> like you should be dead I, I don't know like i don't know what to make out of this but definitely overtraining, undertraining, oversleeping, and oh well, no i don't know when we get to that don't talk about ever sleeping. People get undersleeping, overtraining, and undertraining all mess with your hormones or your stress hormones terribly. And you know something that's really unpopular with my private clients is I say if you um, if you don't get a good night's sleep, and I mean it's significantly bad. Like it's not just like I slept eight hours and I feel a little groggy. That's not what I'm talking about. But you know you slept four hours. We slept six hours and it wasn't and it wasn't a great six hours even and you you were exhausted when you went to bed and you wake up exhausted you shouldn't work out 
like working out is counterproductive because you have to recover every night, right? You didn't recover. And like we were talking about earlier, you don't get stronger when you work out. When you work out, you actually damage tissues. You can actually rupture muscle cells completely. You kill those cells and you rupture them, but your body uses that template of what you're doing today when you get good rest and it makes that muscle fiber better the next day for whatever you're doing. If it's endurance activity, it makes it more enduring. If it's strength, it makes it stronger, more resilient thicker, you know, and you're actually getting better when you're sleeping. So if you don't get enough sleep, you didn't get any better from your last workout. It's not the time to work out right now. Nobody likes that. Now differentiate that from activity though. You should still be active, right? Everybody should be active every day, but you shouldn't be doing things that are making you feel really tired. Um, and you definitely shouldn't be striving for performance if you're sleep deprived, because those two things don't go together. <laughs> You know, that's like racing your car when you're on empty. It, that's not the time to race your car, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even with myself, for sure, if I do not sleep, I'm a nine hour sleeper. I got to sleep nine hours or I don't function well. Uh, and, you know, I bring in a bunch of biomarkers and watch a lot of that stuff with my own performance and stuff. But I know that I need a quality solid nine hours of sleep to feel optimal. And if I don't get a good night's sleep, I do not train. I will, or if I'm getting to bed late, like for some reason or another, which is pretty rare for me these days, but I will literally shut off my alarm that says I'm going to train the next day. Because if you are not recovering with sleep, you should not be out there training. Right. And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And I do it some, I, I do it myself. Like, you know, like, I, I don't want to pretend like I've got all this mastered. I know what to do. And sometimes I'm, you know, I run a couple of businesses and I have a life and I have kids and you know, all that stuff. And sometimes I'm getting to bed at one o'clock in the morning instead of 10. And I'm like, I'm not working out tomorrow. And it's really hard to turn that alarm off. It's hard. It's hard. It's like an ego crushing thing to turn that off. But it's, it's the right thing to do. So let's talk about a little bit. You talked a little bit about what happens when you sleep. Um, but what are some of the things that can happen from lack of sleep? Like some, some of, of the, the red flags that we might have, if like, say we are starting to struggle with the inability to lose weight or things like that. What are some indications that we are sleeping poorly? Because I know there are a lot of people out there that are like, oh, my sleep is great. Then you start digging into it. You find out they wake up to go to the bathroom three or four times a night. There's like a lot of, of red flags. And I'm wondering if you can cover some of those with us. Well, uh, when, when I work, when I work with people on, on this, I, I don't really care what I'm, I try to be agnostic about what people really like so i don't care if you're tech savvy or not if you're tech savvy and you want to have all the sleep monitoring all of the wearable stuff you can do that if you're not tech savvy at all pen and a paper we can get away with right like we can figure it out um the the first what i find is being uh not only the most important but absolutely the imperative part of this whole process of getting people to sleep well is convincing people that they need sleep because as i you know as i as, as i discussed earlier our self-awareness declines when we don't get enough sleep 
so we think we're doing fine and it's hard to convince people that they aren't doing fine. And I don't want to spend all my time trying to convince people that they aren't doing fine. One, it's a negative message and two, it's a waste of my time because like if, if, if your goals are more important to me than they are to you, then we, our relationship is skewed already. So I, the most important thing is to convince yourself that you need sleep. And so I tell people, unlike uh, athletic training, unlike nutritional science, um, unlike all sorts of things in the health and wellness field, there's no controversy around sleep. If you look at the, if you look at this, you know, the true data, so you're talking about like scientific studies, peer reviewed uh, studies on sleep, the data is the same. Like everybody agrees. Like there, there's, there's no one out there saying you don't need to sleep or you only need to sleep four hours a day and you're going to be like, that doesn't exist. There's no science around that. So all you have to do, you know, and this is the worst sales pitch in the world, which is why it's, I think sleep doesn't have the attraction it should have is because literally I can tie it to anything. It doesn't matter. You can tell me anything you value and I can tell you how sleep impacts that. And if you don't get enough sleep, you aren't as good at that as you want to be being a parent, being a CEO, being an athlete, it doesn't matter. Anything you want to do, sleep is imperative. Like it is the reason you're good at that or getting better at that. Um, and so that's a terrible sales pitch. So I tell people, you just got to do this on your own. I just want you to go to go to a good source, go to like PubMed or Google Scholar or something and go sleep and whatever you care about. I don't care what you care about. Like whatever, it doesn't matter to me basket weaving probably like you could do anything and there will be data to show you oh yeah we've studied this and without sleep you aren't very good at this and you suffer pretty quickly from this and so that's the most important thing now to your point about how do you know if you're getting good sleep that's the second hardest battle of my life right because ideally to get a great night of sleep you don't have any you don't have any recollection of sleeping right because if you think about it like what is sleep? Most like I ask this at lectures all the time. Nobody can ever answer it. It's like, has anybody here slept before? Like, I want to make sure I'm not asking an unqualified audience. Of course, everybody slept before, but nobody can define sleep. It's not a really easy thing to define because we don't actually experience sleep when it's good. When we're asleep, our senses essentially turn off, right? So we have this big neocortex of our brain. That's the part that people think of when they see the human brain with all the wrinkles in it. Um, that's what makes us the smartest animal on the planet. And that's primarily how we interact with the world. So it has all of our sensory, sorry, it has our sight and our smell and our taste and our hearing and our sense of touch and pain and hot and cold. All that goes to the neocortex. And then it has all of our motor function, like how we, how we go, like how we interact with the world. And when we're sleeping really well, that part's gone. <laughs> that dissociates from that autonomic bit that's just running our body and repairing everything and doing everything automatically. And that dissociation is what dissociative drugs do. Things like Ambient and Lunesta, Valium and Xanax and alcohol to some extent, um, GHB, like all these things, what they did is they dissociate the neocortex from the brainstem. And so it doesn't pay attention. But all being asleep really means is that there's a barrier between us and our perceived world, our environment that we usually interact in. And we can be awakened past that 
and then there's like some if we if we monitor your brain waves and your respiratory like there's some predictable patterns in there like that's kind of all, all we can say about sleep it's really kind of a lame definition so but when you go to bed your eyes still work your ears are still working your nose like everything's still working right why i mean why can't you turn on the lights and wake somebody up because their eyes are still working you can make a noise and make them wake their ears are still working you can put smoke in the room they'll wake up probably their smell like their sense of smell is still working like everything is still working you can touch them they'll feel it everything's still working but you're just not paying attention to it so you're there your entire the entire purpose of like doing everything to get yourself ready for sleep is to help that brain dissociate so when you when we talk about blue light being in the sky the sun goes down blue light goes away it stimulates some pathways in the back of our eyeballs goes back to our brain causes our pineal glands secrete melatonin melatonin then it's like the starter pistol that make all these changes in our brain so that our brain quits paying attention that's all it is we can overcome it by paying too much attention we can go out like if you've ever been super tired you wake up in the morning you're just exhausted he's like i'm gonna go to work i'm gonna come and go to sleep and your friends talking you're like going out to happy hour or whatever and you're like i'm fine i'm great i don't need to sleep whatsoever and then you stay up till midnight and then you right because you can keep yourself awake past that you can pay attention purposefully even though your brain's trying to shut everything down um so i think i lost track of your question <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you answered it. I was, um, asking why, you know, part of why it was so important. Um, and I think that, you know, going back to, I would like to revisit the ambient thing because there are so many people that are stuck taking some kind of sleep aid and right. they feel like they're trapped right there. Do you have any advice for people like that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's a bit self-serving, but um, you know that that's as I explained to you earlier. That's how I got into sleep, and the the only reason I have the supplement that I have is because I I couldn't just take away the seals Ambien and say suck it up, right? Like you, you got to give them something, and uh, and so I I worked it out with them, like it was you know. Clinical trial uh, because they were coming back and giving me feedback. We worked out the right ratios of everything to get them off of sleep drugs. But you have to, so you have to have something like that. You have to be able to titrate off of them because what happens with, um, so when the pineal gland secretes melatonin and that, that's the starter pistol that changes a bunch of, starts changing a bunch of things, hundreds of cascades, cascades change, all sorts of neurochemistry changes. And it leads to this uh, neuropeptide called GABA, capital G-A-B-A, gamma aminobutyric acid. And that does what I was talking about. That slows down the brain. It starts that dissociation, makes you quit paying so much attention to your environment. Well, when you're revved up all the time and you aren't like ready for sleep, it's really hard to not pay attention to your environment. So you lay awake and you think and you think and you think and you hear things and you smell things and you feel things and you're uncomfortable. And so what the sleep drugs are is they work like GABA. They're GABA analogs, what we call them. Um, so they're acting like GABA. And in their, in their neuropeptides, they have a receptor. So your cell, think of like your neurons have a, they have like a little catcher's mitt and then you have this, 
GABA molecules like the ball goes in the catcher's mitt and then that gets pulled into the cell and it changes things, right? It makes some changes depending on what area of the brain you're in, does different things, but it changes things and it gets you ready for sleep. Well, if you can't fall asleep and you need to dissociate like that, the pharmaceutical industry is like, well, we can make stuff that acts like GABA only better than GABA, right? And so that's what they do. And so uh, the first thing were benzodiazepines and those when they bind so like let, let's say i have this receptor and gaba binds and it pulls into the cell and it makes this change and we'll say on a scale of one to ten it makes a scale of a change of one like it doesn't matter what it is it makes a change of one well you bring in a benzodiazepine that acts like GABA, but only better, it grabs, goes in, and on a scale of one to 10, it does 100. And then you bring in something like Lunesta or Ambien, these Z drugs, they act like GABA, bind that same receptor going, instead on a scale of one to 10, they do 1,000. So they cause this huge dissociation, but they don't do any of the normal stuff that's supposed to be happening when you go to sleep. So you don't actually go to sleep you become dissociated. And this is why there's been a lot of really successful lawsuits against the pharmaceutical industries that produce Z drugs because they dissociate your neocortex, which is your human appropriate, socially acceptable you brain from the lizard brain, which is like, you know, fornicate with everything in sight, eat everything you can, like, like this lizard brain they talk about, it, right? this monkey brain behavior. And so people are taking these Z drugs and they get in their car and they drive down to their, uh, you know, they drive down to the casino and they gamble their life savings away or they pick up a prostitute or they go eat 12 pizzas or whatever. And they have zero memory of it. Just like you have zero memory of good sleep because that dissociation happens. So um, yeah, when you look at somebody's sleep architecture, um, so, when you first go to sleep, you have, so you have these sleep cycles. I talked about, alluded to this, so you have deep sleep and you have REM sleep. And so when you first go to sleep, uh, well, throughout the entire night, every sleep cycle is somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes. And basically that's going from being awake down to some level of deep sleep, back up to some REM sleep, back to essentially being awake. That's one sleep cycle. 90 to 120 minutes, you can figure out kind of roughly how many you would have of those every night. Well, when you take a, when you take a Z drug, it will get rid of, well, let me back up. At the big, beginning of the night, it's about 80%. The first sleep cycle is about 80, 90% deep sleep, a little bit of REM. And then it changes each sleep cycle, gradually more REM, less deep. And by the morning, the last sleep cycle you have, 90% REM, a little bit of deep, 10% deep, right? So when you take a Z drug, gets rid of 80% of REM sleep, gone. You use alcohol, gets rid of about 80% of deep sleep, gone. You do both of those, which is what the SEALs are doing. I do sleep studies on them, send them in to do uh, sleep studies at the hospital. They come back 99% stage two sleep, which is neither deep nor REM sleep. It's what we call transitional sleep. So the sleep drugs don't make you sleep. They make you dissociated. They make you unconscious. 
the metaphor that the joke I always tell in my lectures is I get a guy to volunteer. I say, Hey, come up here. If I hit this guy in the head with a baseball bat and he falls off the stage on the floor, who would say he fell asleep? Right? Nobody says that's asleep. He's unconscious. We know that's unconscious. You see somebody drink a bottle of whiskey and hit the floor. Did they fall asleep? No, they passed out. They're unconscious. That's what, that's what sleep drugs do. So this is all really interesting to me because then that leads me to think, so when people are taking these sleep drugs, how hard is it for them to break away from them? Because then your body, it's like the sugar. It's almost seems like a sugar thing to me. Like you, once you eat a lot of sugar, you crave more sugar. Your body's just like used to that amount of sweetness. Does that, is that a similar thing when it comes to, or it's that way with hormones and all sorts yeah. of other things like that. And I, and I apologize. I, I, I keep losing your, your question somehow. Maybe I, maybe I need more sleep myself. Um, so you, yeah, you did, you did allude to that. So what, so where, where I was going, I first was giving this metaphor of like these receptors grabbing onto different drugs. So uh, the best metaphor I know, and it's still a little clumsy, I, I should figure out something better. But if you think about, uh, if you think about it, your, your body is a host of cells and it can be your brain, it can be, you know, but we're talking about the brain right now because we're talking about GABA. Um, and so if you think about like a think about LA, just like a hugely populated, sprawling little neighborhood, like tons of little houses. And, and you just think of every house as being a single cell in your body, right? And this is a single cell in your brain. And if the only way to get fuel and to, to get food into any one of these houses was a pizza delivery guy driving around, just giving pizzas to the houses. Like that was the only way to get fuel. So you can think about that as sort of blood glucose, like blood's flowing by, it has glucose in it or it doesn't. Well, you have this receptor for glucose and you have this receptor for GABA, right? So if, the, if you had, you can think of that as being like a doorbell on the house. So the pizza guy pushes the doorbell, you open the door, he throws in the pizza, everything's great. Now, if there was only one pizza guy in your whole neighborhood, how prominent would your doorbell be? You'd have thousands of doorbells all over your house, flashing all sorts of things to attract the pizza guy, right? But conversely, if there were 100,000 pizza delivery guys in your neighborhood, you wouldn't want to be interrupted every millisecond, right? So you'd have like one doorbell hit under the porch where only one pizza guy knew how to get there. So that's what these receptors do. When there's a ton of what's called the substrate, in this instance, it would be GABA or it could be glucose if we're talking about that, but the substrate is like what's binding to the receptor. When there's a ton of it around, your body's smart. It doesn't need to spend all this energy and protein making this receptor because there's hundreds of thousands of these molecules around. So you start getting rid of the receptors. Now you have maybe one-tenth of the GABA receptors that you had. You take away your sleep drug and you produce a normal amount of GABA because nothing's happened to make you produce more GABA. You're not taking this GABA analog anymore. And you only have one-tenth of the receptors. It's no different than if you were only producing one-tenth of the amount of GABA. So now you have inadequate GABA to go to sleep. And now you need something to go to sleep. You need something that acts like GABA. So you need to titrate off this stuff. You have to slowly come off these sleep drugs. If you've been on them more than like six weeks, you've downregulated your receptors and it's going to be really hard to get off of the sleep drug. And so what I would do with 
with people and anyone listening, if they have a doctor who's giving them a sleep drug, I would have a compounding pharmacist make a serum that had say 10 milligrams of Ambien was one dropper full, right? It's 10 drops. And then they would do 10 drops for three or four days or week, whatever you do it, however you want to, but three or four days is enough, but say 10 drops for a week, the next week you do nine drops, the next week you do eight drops the next, and you just titrate down. So your receptors are growing back as you're doing this. And then I have them take all the supplements that they need to make sure that their brain and body is making everything that they can make um, and giving them the best chance of recovering from that. And, uh, and I got 100% guys off the sleep drugs who wanted to get off the sleep drugs. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I can't remember anybody saying that they, that they weren't going to do it anymore and hopping off, but if they did, obviously I didn't get them off. Um, but everybody, every single person who wanted to get off, we got off just doing thing, you know, doing just that thing. Um, but it, it takes a while, like takes six to eight weeks probably to get people off. So I have another question that goes along with that. Um, and that is, is that some people like you'll see in like the supplement stores, you'll see GABA for sale and stuff like that. And some people think that if they just take that, then they're going to be able to upregulate that sleep function. But uh, I was actually doing some reading that said that that's not accurate and that that doesn't work. Can you uh, tell us anything about that? If only it were that simple. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, So so GABA is made throughout your entire body, as probably a lot of your listeners know, uh, you have a third you have about a third as many uh, neurons outside of your brain as you do inside of your brain. So you have this gut, you have this gut brain that produces a bunch of the same neurochemicals and has the same effect on the physiology. So your GABA produced in your gut brain is still saturating your peripheral nervous system and it's giving some feedback to back to the brain. So GABA in your bloodstream does help, but GABA is too big of a molecule. Um, and, and it's too polar, so it can't go, it can't go through the blood brain barrier. So, I mean, every, everything can go to some extent. Um, and probably with the seals, I had, uh, even better success because they all probably had damaged blood brain barriers from blast injuries. Um, but it, it doesn't cross the blood brain barrier very well, but it will kind of relax you from the neck down really well. Um, and it will get across the, the blood brain barrier to some degree. Um, and so, you know, there's no single ingredient that's going to do everything. But if you think about what happens when the sunlight goes down, again, it's only blue light. That's the only, that's the only light that matters in triggering this response. And so when the blue light goes away, it triggers this response. It ultimately leads to melatonin being released and melatonin like I said, changes a bunch of neurophysiology. And one of the things that it does is increase GABA. Well, uh, melatonin has to come from somewhere. You have to make melatonin. So you have to make sure that you, your brain is making enough melatonin. And most people have heard of, you know, or know of or think about or have experienced uh, the Thanksgiving day tryptophan. Everybody knows the tryptophan coma, right? You eat turkey and you take a nap on the couch. Not because turkey has super high levels of tryptophan, it, like meat has tryptophan in it. Um, yeah, it's amino acid and you know meat's protein, so there's a lot of tryptophan in meat. Um, but just most people don't eat a pound of steak; they'll eat a pound of turkey, though, right? So it's like we—it's the meat we overeat. So we have this phenomenon, 
But tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan. And then with the help of vitamin D3 and magnesium, 5-hydroxytryptophan uh, uh, can become serotonin and then serotonin becomes melatonin. And this whole pathway needs to be supported. So if you, the, the other thing is you can, so melatonin is a hormone, right? And uh, if you just take melatonin, you do the same thing with the receptors. You take five milligrams of melatonin or even a milligram of melatonin. That's way more melatonin than your brain would ordinarily see. So you get a down, regulator, down regulation of receptors. So when you do supplementation, you need to be smart about it. You need to think about all these pathways, which is why, like when I was working with the SEALs, I did all of that. I gave them tryptophan. I gave them 5-hydroxytryptophan. I gave them magnesium. I gave them vitamin D3. I gave them a very small amount of melatonin. I gave them GABA. Um, and, you know, all of that stuff's important. And then you can add in things like phosphatidylserin, which decreases stress hormone, decreases cortisol. So like, but, you know, it has to be a holistic approach. You're not going to be able to just get rid of a sleep drug by replacing it with one, you know, one supplement, one amino acid or something like uh, you could do one supplement, something like my supplement that has all of those things in it, but you can't just simply go, oh, it's vitamin. Uh, when I was working with the SEALs, I was like, that was the beginning kind of the whole vitamin D3 thing and how important that was. And, uh, and, and it was known to affect sleep. I'm like, Oh, I test all my guys. They're all vitamin D3 deficient. That's it. I'm the smartest guy ever. And like, that was part of it. And I was like 10% of it, you know, and it, it helped, but it wasn't the solution. Gotcha. So I guess, I mean, we've been chatting about this for a little bit here and I don't want to keep you all day, but it, out of all of the things that you want to get out there in the world revolving around sleep, what is the most important thing that you think people need to know? Well, so when I first started lecturing, I, I gave, I, I built all my lectures around what are called four pillars of health, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and stress mitigation, like controlling the stress, like my, you can call it mindfulness, you can call it whatever you want. Um, and, but we all know what that, what that component is, right? That's community, that's meditation, it's religion, it's breath work, it is whatever kind of grounds you. Um, and over time I changed that and I said, you know what, it's three pillars and then the foundation of sleep and sleep is what all the pillars sit on. You cannot diet and exercise your way to health when you aren't sleeping well. It's just not possible. The, uh, as we already alluded to, if you aren't sleeping well, you can't even really exercise, right? You can't exercise for performance. You can be active, right? And if you aren't sleeping well, your nutrition is marginally important because not sleeping well damages your gut biome. It damages fuel partitioning. It damages insulin sensitivity. Like everything gets so damaged. It doesn't really matter if you're eating a perfect diet. It's not going to be perfect to your body because your body can't accept a perfect diet because it's not a it's not, it's not functioning that well yet. And, uh, you know, be uh, calm and be, uh, you know, to do all of the stress relieving things gets harder and harder, the more stress you have. And if you don't sleep well, what's the first thing that happens? Increased stress hormones. So it is the foundation. There's nothing that will break you faster. There's a reason that we use 
sleep deprivation as an interrogation tool, right? There's a reason the CIA uses that. There's a reason they get mad at people at Gitmo for torturing people. And how are they torturing them? They're keeping them awake. Yeah, they're waterboarding them too, but um, they're keeping them awake because that was, that was the mother's load. Like that was the big stressor. Like nothing breaks you faster than that. And I think that's why, the, that's why we, when we first started this out, you started talking about special forces. That's one of the reasons we do that special forces. It's the reason we go through a week without sleep as SEAL training to see if you're going to break, to see how resilient you are. Almost every psychiatric illness, every psychiatric break starts with sleep deprivation. If you're going to have cognitive, emotional problems, sleep deprivation is going to make it worse. So nothing nothing will improve your performance better than sleeping well and nothing will break you faster than not sleeping well and that's the most important lesson that's the most important thing i have to share with people and if you don't believe me like i said go to pubmed go to google scholar put in the word sleep put in and anything else you care about and just read to your heart's content there's research out there to support that everything you value gets worse when you don't sleep well I love all of that. And I love what you said there also. Uh, totally awesome. If my listeners want to find you, how do they go about doing that so that they can learn more about what you're doing and what you have out there? Uh, so it's doc is in short for doctor doc. And then just like the herb parsley doc parsley.com. Um, my, you know, they all they have a lot of lectures on there, a lot of podcasts, a lot of blogs, lots of, um, Lots of information, my sleep supplements on there if anybody's interested in that. There's PDFs you can download for helping you sleep with stress. There's PDFs to help you get your kids to sleep. There's like kind of all that stuff. So that's the one resource I just send everybody to and they can branch out from there. I love it. Well, I will stick that in the show notes. I certainly appreciate you spending some time with me today and chatting all about sleep. I think it's a really super important subject and I'm really appreciative that you spent some time with me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Like I said, if I don't have a soapbox to yell from, it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> I can know everything in the world. It doesn't help if I can't share with people. So I, I appreciate you having me on. It really makes uh, the difference to me to be able to have opportunities to speak to other people's audiences. So thank you. I love that. That's exactly why I started this podcast to get things out there because it's not easy. It's not. Well, we all, I, live in, we all live in echo chambers. Yeah, exactly. Well, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, guys, that wraps up my episode with Doc Parsley. If you want to connect with him, head on over to his website, like he said, at www.docdocparsley.com. You can also find all this information in the show notes as well as other information about him and what he has going on. I'm certainly thankful that he joined us for the podcast today. If you found some pearls from this podcast, make sure that you leave a review. They are really extremely important to me. Uh, share this with your friends. Share it with your family. Leave me reviews on Apple, iTunes, or podcasts. It helps me out so much and it gets this information out to other people, which is really super important. I also want to remind you that I do offer coaching. I offer custom, pre-made, or pre-made programs. Uh, I do a lot in the functional health realm, so my coaching is extremely comprehensive. Um, or if 
you're just looking to get that new or next workout program, or you don't know where to start and you're at home, I've got all of that. It's all on my website at www.connynightingale.com. There, right now, I have a special on my at-home body weight workouts. It is $1.60 a day. That will get you started on a full program that you can do at home. If that is not what you need, I have multiple other programs, including ones that can help you become a beginner at the gym or for the advanced athlete. So pop on over, check it out. I would love to hear from you guys anytime. Shoot me a DM, shoot me a message from the website. I really love chatting with you all and helping you make the next step in your health journey. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. I will see you next Monday.